Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. So, welcome to episode five of the Queen Pod. Uh, this is Queen Two Side Black. We're looking at the second side of Queen Two, and I'm now going to introduce my lovely cohorts that we're going to be chatting this lovely album side together with. Uh, she boils and she bakes, and she never dots her eyes. It's comedian Suze Kempner. Thank you, thank you. How, How are, are you? you? Suze? I'm good. I'm... You know what? It's been so long since we've done one of these. I'm very excited today. I can't help it. Full of beans. Very excited. Yeah, it's lovely to be back together. <laughs> hey, hey, Suze. Yeah, what? The... Yes, Ro. <laughs> okay. Put him in the cellar with the naughty boys. It's Queen documentarian Simon Lupton. Yes. Hello. So pleased to be here. Yeah? Yes. How's it yeah. going down there with the naughty boys? It's great. I've not moved since the last pod, so it's actually nice to have someone to talk You've to. You've been in the cellar the whole time. The whole time. That's what worries me about you, Simon. <laughs> And then, a rubber-dubber baby oil, it's John Robbins. Hello to you, everyone. How are you doing? (laughs) You seem utterly unperturbed by the baby oil element. (laughs) Uh, That always stuck in the mind when I was a kid, I guess, what baby oil might be, what it might be used for. And uh, Still wondering? Still wondering, actually, yeah. I've never actually come into contact with any baby oil. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's a sheltered life you're living, John. Uh, and I reign with my left hand. I rule with my right. I have the power. 
I'm Ro, I'm your host. Okay, great. Listen, guys, we are... I'm going to pass straight into this because I'm very excited about this. You know how we always share a little queen moment at the beginning of these mm-hmm. episodes? Yes. I have an update to the saga. Check this out. Look at Yay! That. Oh, Do you see that, what I'm showing? Days. Framed stamps. Framed the queen stamps. stamps. I've got the queen stamps. I've got all the albums all nicely framed. Beautiful. Like uh, and yet the book of stamps, the full collection book thing, is still lost in the post. No. Oh. Oh. So these weren't available at time of ordering, so I pre-ordered them. And they have now overtaken the existing... So I'm telling you, the whole postal system is back to front. It's upside down. Anyone else had a nice little queen time at some point this week? I, I did have a nice queen moment. Um, yeah. and, I, and I'd just like to share it with you because I'd like to, to know if this has happened to, to my fellow uh, colleagues on this podcast, but also queen fans out there. Um, I was at a family gathering, my in-law's house, um, uh, for a, a birthday. We were outdoors. It was all socially distanced. We were very good. Um, but someone had got some music playing in the background. But because we were all chatting and, you know, playing games and so forth, I had zoomed out or zoned out the uh, the music um, until somewhere in the playlist, a Queen track popped up. And I don't know if I don't know if you all do you have that somehow that radar that even when you're not listening to something, as soon as a Queen track comes into your your sphere, even yeah. if it's subconsciously. Yeah. And I think my whole demeanor must have changed because my sister-in-law said are you, are you all right <laughs> and, I was like, and i had to go yeah yeah no it's just you're playing a queen song and I sort of, I, i'd zoned out of what everyone was doing in front of me and tuned in and it was and it was love of my life uh, and i said not only i mean within a few piano chords i'd sort of i'd got it but i was like this is such an unusual track to have in a playlist and she said, oh, no, I, I love this track. I think it, it's wonderful. It's one of my favourites. So I love the harp at the end, you know, when, it, when mm-hmm. it's finishing. And someone else went, what, a harp on a Queen track? <laughs> <So> yes. <laughs> resisted the temptation to go, there's also a ukulele, there's also a harp. So I didn't do all that. Um, but it started a conversation about um, amazing intros to Queen songs. And we all started to say what we thought were some of the best intros. So it's a question I ask. I ask you now: <gasps> If you had to pick out the bet your favourite intro to a Queen song, I mean, because obviously "We Will Rock You" is very distinctive. Bohemian Rhapsody, I think you know, "One Vision," for example. I was going to say "One Vision." One Vision, yeah. What What would else would be on our list of great Queen intros? The thing about "One Vision" is they used to do that live after that point mm-hmm. as well. They'd play that as the start of the gig, yeah. and it'd get you all excited, and you could almost sing along with those sort of those little sort of noises that they were making so I mm-hmm. did like One Vision for that another one that often comes to mind is that really long intro into Tie Your Mother Down on Dead the Races oh, that's, that's mm-hmm. a great sort of yeah. mine is Was It All Worth It yeah oh, yeah that's start, start that up in traffic <laughs> <laughs> make eye contact with whoever you're next to at the traffic lights yeah and then power away brilliant <laughs> I'm going to say uh, give me the prize because mm. um, it starts with the uh, news broadcast from Highlander man's yeah. decapitated head and then that <laughs> insane uh, well also the insane guitar solo I always like it when so- it's quite unusual for songs to start with a guitar solo yeah 
Uh, and that's in the film, that's in the wrestling scene, I think, right at the start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love the guitar tone on It's Late, those first, like, little... Um, oh, yeah. I really like that. And um, I really like the, the piano in my Melancholy Blues. Oh, yeah. I mean, what about intros you don't like? <laughs> oh. oh, well, that one, you, I think Suze and I might come to blows because you're a big fan of Jealousy, aren't you, Suze? Yeah. And I am not a fan of that song. Not a fan of Jealousy? Well, I don't mind the song in its entire as a whole. It's fine, and I don't mind it too, and there's bits of it that are lovely, but that sort of that intro with the... Kind of whiny guitar, that sound. Sitari sort of yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah. The, the noise it's actually making does does I find challenging. Twist your melon. <laughs> it does twist my melon a little bit. <laughs> A little bit. Well, I'm glad to, because judging by your reaction, that you all have that same thing. That no matter where, how far away a Queen track is played, yeah, within about you hear three it seconds, and you, you like a, a meerkat. You hear Can it I ask you Where's this, that coming though? from? Can I ask you this, Simon? When yes. that happened, did you consider it a personal victory? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. yeah, it's that. Mm. I, yeah. I mean, no, I have no idea what else was played on that playlist. No, no, it could have been some of the gotcha. greats, but the only one that pierced through yeah he's love of my life this happened to me when i was 15 in the cinema watching high fidelity remember that movie the john yes. cusack movie so yeah. we were in the cinema playing high fidelity uh watching high fidelity with my then best mate mike barrow and suddenly we are the champions bursts in like i think he has sex with Catherine zeta jones and then comes out of her house and it just bangs into we are the champions and I, in my seat, was like, oh, brilliant. And I just heard, I didn't make a noise or do anything, but I just heard Mike next to me go, because oh, he, he knew that I'd be going, yes. We won. won. We've just won. We've just won, won high fidelity. <laughs> uh, we're moving into the uh, next section of the show quite elegantly, I feel, because um, I, well, the next section of the show is called Love of My Life. Is it though? However, this is it, Simon. Yeah, I am thinking about rebranding because we're getting lots and lots of different types. Of, like uh, this, like up till now, we've just been saying, "Hey, write in and tell us if you like Queen, and uh, maybe give us a question or two and stuff like that." However, I've had a couple of thoughts on this. First is it would be nice to sort of, you know, uh, you know, we're getting lots and lots of different stuff from people about Queen, not just why they like it. So it's not just about Queen being the love of their lives. So it's, I think, you know, we're forming a little listenership sort of community uh, and there's a chance here for people kind of to write in and tell them what they think about Queen or something personal to them about Queen, whatever it is, that they could share amongst people who are listening. What could be better than that? Uh, and also, I have felt like it's been a bit unfair that I get to read the Queen questions ahead of you guys and kind of formulate my own little answer. So I think... Um, what I'm suggesting is that from this week, we get producer... Well, I've done it. Producer Giles is going to read the question. So I don't know the question either. I see. So I'm going to be joining in with you guys on the question. However, uh, I am going to read out the the, the letter because I love doing that. Um, so instead of... Call, it's like, so it's more like... Basically, I want to call this section Radio Pod Pod. Done deal? Done deal. <laughs> Here we go. We watch the show. We watch the stars. On video, 
First thing I want to do on Radio Pod Pod is issue our very first uh, pod correction. Uh, it turns out that on episode one, when we were looking at the first side of Queen One, we were looking at Great Queen Rat, uh, and we talked about how that was pretty much the only time that uh, Brian May used Wawa at the underscore actual underscore Phil has taken it upon himself to let us know. Uh, that uh, actually Brian did use War on the solo on Gimme the Prize. I have no doubt that at the underscore actual underscore Phil is correct. But we, in fairness to say, we haven't actually had that confirmed. Ah, that's true. I'm, I'm, I, I don't doubt it's true, but does at the underscore actual underscore Phil show yeah. his workings there no. <laughs> we need two-step verification on this please we do yes. and one of those steps has to be either brian may or the guy who sorts out his rig nice right <laughs> john's got a big old grin on his face and looked directly at simon over Zoom for that <laughs> just put that on your list of amazing things to achieve simon. <laughs> um, uh, so there we go thank you for that correction uh phil and obviously uh, we respect it enormously, so yeah. Because we're doing um, Queen 2, we should call that section Notes and Queries. Ah. Because you don't like Radio Pod Pod, is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's not a pun. <laughs> doesn't need to be a pun, John. It just needs to be fun. Okay, so uh, Queen Pod at thequeenpodcast.com. Send us your corrections and we will read them out. Uh, fantastic. We have a couple of lovely... Hang on, John. Did you have some nice tweets from the world of uh, our podcast listeners? I did, actually. I had a really nice um, tweet uh, from someone because we were doing... uh, We started with Queen 2 last week. Simon's still grinning. I just (laughs) want to make the point. It's just too good not to use. All right. Sorry, John. Carry on. Radio Pod Pod. Yeah. (laughs) Is it? Yeah, it's really good. Is it's it? just Gaga, okay. but Pod Pod instead. Yeah, I've replaced Gaga. It's a Queen song. Oh, is that yeah, what yeah. you Okay, yeah. right, I get it now. It's a Queen song, but it's not a pun. <laughs> um, so I had a message from Malcolm Smith on Twitter, and uh, he sent a photo of his Queen 2 collection. And it's extraordinary. So he's got... The picture he sent is of a gold disc of the album. In front of that... Uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 11 copies of Queen 2 on vinyl. Wow. 11 different copies, I should say. Yeah, right? They're Um, from different... Are they from different parts of the world and stuff? I would imagine they're different editions from Mm. different parts of the world. He's then got seven copies of Queen 2 on CD, two of which are definitely Japanese (coughs) imports. He's got the cassette. He's got an eight-track. He's got... I'm guessing it's a laser disc, but I couldn't confirm. And then some format that is perhaps a different edition of the eight track. Um, so it's definitely um, Malcolm's favourite album, and he's wow. celebrated that by having it on all formats. And then also, I mentioned the uh, Freddie Mercury tribute T-shirt that a listener gave me, oh, yeah. who sent into uh, the old radio show I did on Radio X. 
and they've actually got in touch uh, Leighton Brown to say, John, just reach the point where you reference the Freddie Tribute T-shirt. I sent you that. For the record, I got my ticket for the show through the fan club and had that plus my train fare down as an 18th birthday, 18th birthday present. Oh. I was offered a £1,000 for my ticket as I milled around Wembley from 9am, which I refused. That day remains one of the single most important days of my life. I sent you the T-shirt by way of thanks for the XFM show. Knowing that you would treasure it, it was not gifted lightly. So I just wanted to Aww. say thank you again to Leighton. And um, imagine being offered a grand in 1992. That must be like three grand now, at least. Enormous amount of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but uh, well worth turning it down because I'm Definitely. sure the memories of that mm. day are worth far more than that. That's epic that he's given you that T-shirt, man. It's very kind of him. That is a profoundly Amazing. moving thing. And I, well and done, I do John, treasure it. Earning that. And that's that's a great credit to you, I would say, as a warrior for Queen. <laughs> um, that's awesome. I love that you've had that effect on, on people. And yeah, I, I, I yeah, I remember that, that day well as well. And certainly the touts <clears throat> were going around, but I think pretty much everyone had the attitude of who who's no. selling you their ticket? Like <laughs> no, yeah. you're not Go away. <laughs> it's not like going to see a band on tour where you're like, oh, I could go and see them at a different gig. Mm. Yeah. It's like, it's now or never for the, yeah. the tribute concert. It's never going to be done again. That's it. Yeah. I've never fully understand, understood the whole tout model. I'm not saying we should go into it here, but, you know, what, who goes to a gig specifically to buy a ticket off a tout and then wander in? I know what, I'll pay way more than it should cost. Well, if it's sold out, I mean, I would pay. I would pay a grand to go to the Freddie Mercury tribute. Yeah, concert. my god. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a fair point. I can't argue <laughs> with that. Listen, I've got an email from Bob. Uh, now we think this may be a pseudonym, but we're not one hundred percent sure. Is that right, producer Giles? He's nodding at me. So I'm pretty sure that Bob is a pseudonym. But this is this is his 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 letter that I want to share with you guys. See what you think. Uh, He said, I wanted to share a Queen memory with you in probably 2016 after a Queen plus Adam Lambert gig at the O2 in London. I remember going for my big post-gig wee after several pints and inexplicably several margaritas, several (laughs) margaritas. In the queue and during my wee, I was singing the Live Aid set in my head, as is often the case. I love this guy. As I emerged triumphant, post-wee, from the raised porter cabin, I found myself at the audience participation bit of the Live Aid set in my head, but also standing on stage, that's in inverted commas, in front of about 200 Queen fans waiting for a wee. Not only did all of them participate on cue to my awful AO rendition, but they refrained from pelting me with missiles and good-naturedly cheered and applauded afterwards. It's times like this that make me proud and delighted to be a Queen fan. With great anticipation for the rest of the Queen pod and with best wishes, Bob. We're proud and delighted that you are a Queen fan too. So good. What about that? That Amazing. is one of the cool things about the Queen gigs, isn't it? People do erupt in AOs. It happens and we just <laughs> go for it. Yeah. Well, I remember, do you remember from the, was it the closing ceremony for the Olympics when they put Freddie yeah. on the big screens? And oh, that was magic. Every, I mean, again, you know, not a Queen audience there to see mm-hmm. a Queen show. Yeah. Um, several years after he passed away and yet yeah. everybody knew what to do. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah. 
one of the enduring memories from the tribute for me was doing the queuing up in the morning with the big crowds as someone started doing it. We all we were all in. We loved it, and even mm. a, a little fancy dress costume party that I went to a couple of weeks before all of this COVID caper really kicked off. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't get it, but uh, I was in the Freddie yellow jacket, Wembley suit, and everything mm-hmm. like that. I, I essentially looked like I should be selling. Um, some form of curry paste. I'll be honest with you. The, the moustache did me no favours. However, however, uh, I did win the costume competition, which is something I've never done before. And I erupted into an AO, and everyone just went, "Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah, that's <laughs> Freddie. We will do AO. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> fine. Yeah, it's fantastic. We're programmed to do it. I love it. Guess what? Hmm. What? 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 Bob writes. I know tension, right? Bob yeah. writes. P.S. John won't remember this. But during a comedy gig of his at a school in East Dulwich in maybe 2018, he asked a member of the audience which which Queen song was played during his, the audience member's, wedding ceremony. That audience member failed to remember which song it was and was quite rightly pilloried not only by the audience but by John himself. (laughs) That audience member was me. <laughs> the answer was a ballad of "Don't Stop Me Now." He put that bit in italics. <laughs> I'm glad to have the opportunity to set the record straight, and I hope absolve myself of my abiding shame at the memory. Many thanks. Ah, oh, you you are absolutely absolved. What does he mean? A ballad of "Don't yeah, Stop Me Now." Yeah, that's what like I'm a, saying. Like, like a sort of was Acoustic. the original not good enough <laughs> no, no, I mean it's just not wedding-y enough I guess yeah. I so mean, sort I... of a chilled down because you wouldn't yeah. necessarily want if you're walking down the aisle on a sex machine ready to explode <laughs> you'd sort of want to save that for maybe the dance to the end of the aisle yeah 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 <laughs> yeah well the honeymoon yeah I mean I've I've closed out a you know a wedding DJ set with a bit of don't stop me now I won't lie but um, yeah I guess if you're going to play it in the wedding proper you're going to need a ballad version of it there's something so appropriate about it being a ballad version but thank you Bob lovely to hear from you and please any of you uh, want to uh, write in and share your thoughts feelings memories about Queen please email us queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com and also if you're uh, just wanted to send us little messages on Twitter or Insta at thequeenpod there please follow us it's lovely to hear from you it means a lot, and um, uh, I think we now have a fan question, right, Producer Giles? Yeah, Dean from Manchester. Uh, we we got loads of questions. We've got loads of awesome stories, but and, and, and I thought I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd give you a relatively easy one. It might coincide with something that we choose for one of our special rankings episodes as well. Who knows? Let me read you what he put. My dad used to take me to rugby matches every Sunday morning, travelling up and down the northwest. Queen Greatest Hits 1 and 2 were on religiously in the car, and therefore I know every word, drum pattern, and guitar lick to this day. My question is, as it's considered to the uneducated that Queen are merely a greatest hits band, which album would you recommend to prove they are not? I suppose you could start from the beginning, but I'm interested to know if there's a common go-to studio album that would really impress a greatest hits guy. Mm. That is a good question. Very good question. Mm -hmm. And... I I don't know if it made the edit, but I remember when I interviewed Brian, he definitely, there is a definite feeling amongst Brian and Roger that the sort of greatest hits one and two are a bit of a millstone around the neck because of their own, because of their in, unprecedented success. I mean, greatest mm. hits is the big, biggest selling album of all time in the UK. 
Yeah. I mean, and Greatest Hits 2 is number 10. Right. So if you if you think that's up against every album ever made, <laughs> it's Jeez. a huge amount of familiarity, but it's almost like it's it's sort of unfair, it's an unfair criticism of Queen to say they're a Greatest Hits band because their albums, their amount of number one albums they've had is stupendous as well. Mm. What's What I always find crazy about Queen is that they didn't have more number one singles, but they had extraordinary bad luck yes. <laughs> with uh, coming in at like number two mm. I see. and number three and number four and stuff. With songs uh, that have endured potentially longer than what they were beaten by. We will yeah. find out as we go along. I would probably, if I was, if someone said I really like Queen's greatest hits and I don't have any of their albums, I probably wouldn't go for something like, certainly wouldn't go for Queen one or two or maybe not even Night of the Opera because they're sort of more self-contained. I might say, um, I might say News of the World because it's got some familiar tracks. Yeah. It's got some very unusual Queen tracks and it has a real breadth of stuff on it. Um, but then I might also go for Innuendo just because it's such a great album. But those might be mm. my two. Yeah, yeah, it's good. They're good shouts. I, I would, I was thinking of the game. When I was uh, thinking of the game as well. You were talking about for similar reasons. There's some nice, recognisable tracks on there, but there are also some. There's quite an eclectic mix on that as well. But it's hard, yeah. And it's it's really it's a really conducive album. That I mean, go on, Suze. What are you going to say? I was going. I was actually going to say a night of the opera because I think. Yeah. Death on Two Legs is such an incredible intro and it sounds Ooh, like Queen yeah. and they wouldn't necessarily know it. So they'd hear that and go, ah, but it's the set and the same album that's got Bohemian Rhapsody on it that everyone knows mm. has also got like Prophet's song on it. Mm-hmm. So I think I would, I think it would blow a mind. <laughs> and it is, it is sort of the seminal Queen album, if you like, as well. Like if you're yeah. going to play any one yeah. one Queen album, it's probably Night of the Opera that should be played. Well, also they they did try to solve this problem with the deep cuts albums, yes. uh... which always looked like they were unofficial. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? When you'd see them in the rack, you'd think, how are these snuck in there? Because right. they were very unqueen in the way that they were sort of the illustrated and stuff. But the I don't know, are there, how many volumes are there of that, three. Simon? Three. Are there? three. I think Queen Deep Cuts volumes one, two and three would be great. Yeah. I have to say, I don't actually own the Deep Cuts CDs. Well, you kind of do just across yeah. a number of albums. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. yeah. See, the interesting thing about this is on... Essentially, on every album, certainly from Shirt Heart Attack onwards, there are two huge hits, minimum. Mm, mm-hmm. Right, There are at least two tracks on every single album that will register on Greatest Hits 1 or 2, which means you can actually technically pretty much play anyone, any album, and they'll go, oh, great. So, you know, with News of the World, you've got We Will Rock You, We Are The Champions. Um, with um, The Game, you've got... Um, uh, crazy little thing called Love is on there, and another one bites the dust. Uh, mm. So you know, rocks. You know, and every single album has that. You know, if you've got an album with somebody to love on it, it will also have. Now I'm testing myself, Simon. Uh, you're my best friend. No, wait, hang on. Where am I? Bohemian Rhapsody and you're my best friends on the yeah. same album, right? So, so anyway, you you have got that going on. Uh, I wonder if a more recent album, like John's saying, like Innuendo, 
may have a bit more resonance. My first instinct was the game, um, but I was wondering uh, about maybe, and I know this will be unpopular with John, but the Miracle album, because so many so many of those tracks were singles and are known. Um, and, um, yeah. That's We're basically as good saying an answer as any other Queen album. <laughs> <laughs> hey, pick one. Honestly, pick one. It's all good. It's the whole point of this... Um, whole point of this podcast yeah. really uh does that answer that question yeah perfectly thank you i'm sure dean from manchester will be very satisfied with the answer any of them any of them <laughs> there you go that's what happens when you don't give me the questions in advance so let's go to should we get stuck into the music yeah yeah i think it's time for the works let's get stuck in <laughs> Okay, so let's get stuck into the works. We're looking at Queen 2, the side black, side B, the second side of the album. Queen 2, of course, released on the 8th of March 1974 uh, on EMI in the UK, Electra in the US, recorded at Trident in August 73. It was produced by Roy Thomas Baker and Queen with Robin Jeffrey Cable on this side of the album only, which we'll talk about as we go, I'm sure. Uh, It was engineered by Mike Stone. Side Black is considered to be a bit more heavily fantasy compared to Side White's sort of more emotionally themed songs that we talked about last time. Um, All of Side Black was written by Freddie. Uh, Now, um, uh, the top five albums, uh, so in the UK in the week beginning of the 31st of March 1974, so Queen 2's highest chart position was number five. And I just thought it'd be nice, I thought you might be interested to hear what what was between that and the number one spot for their second yes. album? Oh, yeah. Great idea. Because Queen One didn't really chart that much, did it? Or it did a little bit, but not that much. Mm-hmm. But Queen Two got to number five. At number four was Band on the Run by Paul McCartney and Wings. So that's a huge album. Uh, number three, Millican and Nesbit by Millican and Nesbit. <laughs> Don't know what that is. I'm sorry with regret, regret to Millican and Nesbit. Uh, but at number two, Goodbye Yellow Big Road by Elton. Uh, John, which is also another huge album, and the number one, The Singles, 1969 to 1973 by The Carpenters. Oh, wow. So, wow. I mean, a fairly rock-solid bunch of albums to keep Queen's second album at number five. They did well to get to number five, I think. Well, a question maybe for Simon, because Queen 2, there was like, was there a... a, a a coordinated move between Queen 2 and Sheer Heart Attack to actually try and write, like, consciously write hits. Yes. Because it... So does that mean that they were disappointed with how Queen 2 did? Because in my mind, a number five album is an insane success, but were they slightly disappointed at the fact that they were sort of still behind the pace a bit? I I think I think you're right. I mean, we can only speculate because we were all very young or not alive um, back in 1974. (laughs) Um, But I I think definitely when we get to Sheer Hardstack, we're going to see a much more commercially minded band. And I think it's interesting that Seven Seas of Rye was the only song to be released as a single from this album, if I remember right. Um, And it got to number 10. So it did well, but not it didn't sort of set the world alight. and I think there was a feeling that they're writing good stuff. This is a great album, but it's commercially not punching through and getting them to a wider audience. And I think when we look back at the, the progression of Queen, you look at Sheer Heart Attack as a very much a blatant effort 
to sort of be a bit more commercial and get some more single hits, which would then sort of lead to a, a higher charted album. And then with A Night at the Opera, they almost go back to what they were, the journey they were on with with Queen 1 and 2. Um, but I, I I think for Queen 2, it, it did well. And you're right, a number five album is, is huge, but it was a slow burn. I think it's something that has done better when people go back to the catalogue and they find Queen 2 and they see what a, a brilliant album it was, but mm. in the context of everything else. But if, if you if you played me Queen 2 and told me this was number one in the UK and had a number one single from it, I'd think you're insane because it's so... It's it's quite genre-y. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, yeah. it is even though heavy metal wasn't a term at the time, you could say this is... And an awful lot of the, al- the albums that people argue this was the first heavy metal album certainly didn't self-identify as heavy metal. It would be in that broad group of sort of um na- n- n- sort of um embryonic metal mm. and prog yeah it would kind of be crazy if it had got to number one wouldn't it i mean i I would love it to have done <laughs> I know. just for the stats but i think it's quite <laughs> interesting as well that there are you, you meet a lot of fans of queen who have been there from day one who who loved queen because of that heaviness and then felt that as they they grew and went more commercial and perhaps a bit more poppy as the years went on they're like, oh, I loved Early Queen, but, you know, they didn't go on that journey. Um, but that's fine because they have a handful of albums that they love and they adore and, and can probably play until, the, you know, to death. And um, that's fine. But there was, you're right, it, it was, this is a really heavy album, isn't it? Um, and mm. perhaps not commercially, you know, a, a great thing to do. But this was their first album of them being able to do what they wanted when they wanted uh, in the studio so this is them really flexing their muscles um and i think they learned a lot from it um but it, it's an album they they love and are proud of i know i think it's i think i'm right i think it's brian's favorite um there's so much about it that he loves so all power to him i say yeah 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 it's certainly an ambitious album so yeah robin jeffrey cable uh did some production on this side of the album uh he worked on nevermore funny how love is a march of the black queen and he produced uh this thing called larry lurex which uh is a double uh single that freddie recorded i think with him during the queen one period of recording um and we were thinking uh obviously we'll be doing sheer heart attack soon enough but before that we thought we might look at um so all the little solo things that were going on prior to queen forming or at the time of queen forming uh, and also the band smile uh, which was sort of the band that brian and roger had with uh, tim staffel before queen uh, and all that kind of stuff um and so we'll probably be looking at the larry lyric stuff stuff in that podcast uh but it's interesting that they worked together on that um and uh, uh, and and were also brought in, and he was also brought in here as well. Um, and I tried my best to try and make a a sort of Larry the Cable Guy joke, but it <laughs> I just couldn't make it work. I was just so close. I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Um, the other thing that I thought might be a nice little story to discuss here is before we get into the tunes proper is um, while supporting Mott the Hoople on their US tour after the album's release, um, one of the uh, additional support bands that were brought in 
uh, was Aerosmith, and they came in for a gig in Pennsylvania. And allegedly, this is how the story goes, maybe Simon can tell me about this, May Brian shared a bottle of whiskey with Joe Perry, who's the guitarist and Aerosmith, leaving them both blind drunk by showtime. And Brian later claimed that he played the whole gig from memory and swore never to drink more than a pint of beer before a show, (laughs) although the rest of Queen complimented him on how much fire and energy he'd brought that night. Because of this, uh, Brian made another mental note to always give it some action in the future. (laughs) It really pleased me. Have you heard that story, Simon? That that does ring a bell, yeah, but that's... um... I love the fact that Brian would have taken away and learned from that yeah. um, <laughs> going forward. Um, so, yeah, brilliant. I, I will never not be amazed by how old Aerosmith are. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Formed in 1970. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they had a whole other career before they sort of became Aerosmith, didn't they? Hmm. All right. So I think this brings us to the tunes, doesn't it? Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, we're opening... Uh, we are opening... Uh, Queen to side black uh, with Ogre Battle. And now the interesting thing about Ogre Battle is like the first 30 seconds of the start of the song uh, is the same as the last 30 seconds on the song. So I thought what I'd do is a bit of fun. Shall I play the last 30 seconds and then the first 30 seconds or shall I do it the other way around? Do do it last then first. Okay, here we go. Here is the last 30 seconds of Ogre Battle to start That's that's the last thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is essentially the start of the song. See what you've done there. You flip reverse it. It's indubitable now. Yeah. <laughs> so they're the, but they're, they're not exactly, it's not just the, the outro reversed, is it? Because those vocals aren't reversed. I think they are. At the beginning of the last 30 seconds, you get that. Uh, wah, 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 wah. I think there's a moment where it suddenly is. Oh, it flips um, into normal. Forward. Yeah. I have a slightly embarrassing school time queen memory of of that opening uh, 30 seconds i had a music teacher i might have mentioned who in, encouraged me uh, to listen to queen and i was certainly the only kid in class listening to queen and um i think he used to, it was mr his name was mr bradshaw and he used to always enjoy sort of having a, a fellow queen fan in the room however there was one boy who just sort of didn't really engage with a lot of the music stuff. And eventually, as all good teachers do, the teacher said to him, well, what music are you into? And he was into rave music. 
And he said, OK, we're going to do a lesson on rave music to sort of include this lad, which is great. I brought in uh, a recording of uh, the first 30 seconds of Ogre Battle to then make uh, the argument that Queen invented rave music um, because the first 30 seconds was so, so it was the closest thing I had to rave music. And the teacher kind of looked at me with a like, yeah, not today, John. This isn't, this isn't about you. This isn't about me. It's not about Queen. We're trying to reach out to a student by talking about rave. Queen did not invent rave. Well, good, good extra marks for uh, enthusiasm. Oh, wow, John. And then you went, ah, oh, but have you considered body language? <laughs> but they definitely invented opera, right? We've Yes, that's Hello, a night at the opera. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. They, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so I they, would, they I also would invented des- night. Yes. <laughs> I would describe, um, and I've only just come up with this, the first three tracks on this side of the album are, are the Amen Corner of Queen 2. Oh, deep golf reference. Ooh. Um, yeah, US Masters just, fans. Because I think these, these three tracks... Are all, you could almost take them in themselves. So Ogre Battle, Fairy Fellas, Masterstroke and Nevermore. Sure. They're the most fantastical, the most sort of um, fantasy styled, which mm. Queen kind of pretty much dropped after Queen 2. Mm. That sort of, that theme. Um, I... I I, uh, I I I think Fairy Fellas Masterstroke is the then the corner of Amen Corner. Got it right. As in that's <laughs> the most challenging section for you. <laughs> well, not challenging. I just think I just love the sweep of these three yeah, tracks into yeah. this mm. into March of the Black Queen. I mm. think it's superb. And they do. Uh, you know, it's it's hard not to consider them as one piece because they blend so well together as well. Should we listen to a bit more of this track? Yes, please. Um, yeah. I want to. I want to listen to this bit. Uh, here, I'm going to play like a little chunky section of this good stuff. He gives a great big cry and he can swallow up the ocean. With a mighty tongue he catches flies in the palm of a hand, incredible sight. One great big eye as a focus in your direction. That's some proper rock and roll. <laughs> what? There's some, surely there's some vocal acrobatics going on in this song somewhere that you need to tell us about. <laughs> surely. Yeah. Yeah, sure are. No, that whole set, that's the second verse. And it um, it's amazing because on paper it shouldn't work. The lyrics are all crammed in there with too many lyrics for that amount of time. I've worked out there's nearly 50 words in 18 seconds. Um, all right, yeah. Sort of more syllables is, than there should be. It shouldn't work, but... With Freddie has a way of both singing and writing. He just naturally writes conversationally and he's using yet another colour in the Freddie Mercury vocal paint box. He's using quite speechy quality, which you'll hear a lot in musical theatre, where it's you, you don't tend to hear it in pop, where they're almost speaking it. So how he's written that rhythmically is how an excited child would deliver news of <laughs> these ogres he's heard about he gives a great big cry and he could swallow up the ocean with a mighty tongue he catches flies the palm of a hand incredible size and then right up to now the battle is on 
And that's right, how right. Freddie delivers it all. That's so amazing. Yeah. That yeah, that's true. Yeah, there is a... I, I don't, did you guys find this a particularly evocative song when you were... I started writing a whole... I was kind of... This song kind of made me think about getting into like Warhammer and... Dungeons and Dragons like that, yeah. and stuff, and mm. uh, and I sort of had a vague explore into it when I, until I realised that you needed actual skills to be able to paint these little models. Um, <laughs> having splurted enamel over some pieces of metal, I, uh, I, I kind of quit. <laughs> um, but I used to write little stories and stuff, and mm-hmm. yeah, I wrote stories about ogre battles and whatnot. And I think the fact that you're saying that even like musically, technically, he is being childlike in this song is. Yeah, it's quite telling that I think as a kid I resonated it uh, resonated with it so much. There's a yeah. a really good um, bit of stand up material from a comedian called Daniel Kitson where he says the secret to happiness is doing something you enjoy whilst also looking forward to doing something you enjoy straight after. And the, <laughs> wow. the the example he gives is um, after going to the pub as a kid he would he would make his uh, friend, his hungover friend, a cheese sandwich, and then as his friend was eating the cheese sandwich, he'd go, "And it's match of the day in ten minutes." <laughs> so, for me, listening to Ogre Battle, knowing that the fairy fella's masterstroke is next, is that pure definition of happiness because I'm enjoying myself, but I'm about to enjoy myself more so because there's yeah. another because the, the next song is even better. Really? Yes. So you're leaning, you're starting to. I, I, I kind of. Do you know what? I do want to listen to the two way mirror mountain a little bit before we go to the master stroke, just because melodically, I think it's incredible, absolute mm. mad tunes, and Fred has this sort of ability to do these almost sort of. I don't know, were they science fiction riffs or something? I don't know, but it's such a a brilliantly hooky um, sequence, this. Brilliant. And then it all goes mad from there, and you've got people <laughs> screaming and all sorts. Fantastic. Um, but I, what I always loved about that little bit is he's sort of worked out. He's worked. He's worked out the strategies of you know, like he's obviously envisaged the battleground and he's figured out. Okay, these guys are going to go that way, and those guys are going to go this way. I guess that may be some of the stuff that he was, uh, you know, that he'd, he'd he'd been doing with his sister growing up, because it's all based on these sort of fantasy mm. worlds. That, this world of rye that he created with her, mm, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Maybe they had, but you know, again, that that's quite a childlike thing to be doing. Go right, okay, why right, we're going to have a fight in a canyon? It's going to be ogre battles, and yeah, yeah, these guys going to go that way. You're playing with your action figures, really, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, it's like that. I also I love that the the last verse um, when you know they're all going home, and it's suddenly it's in a minor key, and I'm right. I always took it as like, hey, the good guys won, but they lost a lot of good men along the way. So it's in a minor key because it's all sad and that. That's so cool. So this sad triumph in the final verse. <laughs> well, I uh, part of me just want to play that little bit as well, Suze. But I think <laughs> if we don't, if we don't get onto the fairy fellas' master stroke, I think John's going to have a stroke. So shall we? Um... <laughs> well, before we move on, oh, may yeah, I, yeah. can yeah. I just add something? Because um, I'm indebted to a, a, 
a very nice gentleman in America called Adam Unger who um, drew my attention to the fact that in 1991, when Queen signed with Hollywood Records um, to distribute all their their, their catalogue over in uh, in the state in North America, um, they did some remixes of a couple of tracks for each album as a way of sort of introducing uh, Queen to new audiences, but also to mark the fact that Hollywood Records were uh, were now working with Queen. Um, and they did a version of Ogre Battle, which was was remixed. Um, would it be all right if I played you a little bit of it to see what the yes, 1991 yeah. version of it was? Weren't like? Hollywood Records kind of laughed out of town for buying Queen's back catalogue at the time? And it's turned out to be sort of one of the canniest moves in music absolutely i mean and it was the the timing was unfortunate because obviously not they didn't know at the time but then it became apparent that freddie was was very ill and and sort of Mm. died shortly afterwards which was was you know was sad but yes uh it it was you know you're taking on a band that had already been going for 20 years what more could they possibly have left and um here we are 30 years later still talking about them so well done hollywood records So do we think wow. that's an improvement? How? <laughs> I, I tell you what, it's, it's always amazes me. When, when you're obsessed with a musician and you get something that has extra cool secret hidden stuff, it's amazing how often you never listen to it more than once. Like stuff that when you read about it in a press release or your mate tells you, oh, have you got this album with extra tracks or have you got this sort of anniversary 24 disc version, you think, oh my God. And you always end up just going back to the album as it yeah. was. That that really, you can tell that uh, you two are very popular at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I know, that it's like, like so cool, the Britannia. edge has sort of overseen the remix. <laughs> yeah. Well, because that would have been about the time of um, would it that have been Actung Baby? Yeah, or even right, Joshua yeah. Tree would have been about that time. Yeah, you can definitely see the '90s influence, can't you, on it? But um, mm. like I say, thank you it's to Adam really for that. It's a really new labour. But yeah, but <laughs> you'll be pleased to know that we'll be coming Super. back to the Hollywood remixes later on on this album. Oh, really? So stay tuned. <laughs> There's another one to, to come. <laughs> so, did the band have no knowledge of this happening, or uh, they they would have relation? done? But I, I guess they would have been talked into it. Hollywood have been so enthusiastic and wanting to sort of, you know make a big noise about the fact they now had Queen and I think obviously 91 was obviously a difficult year for them and they had a lot going Mm. on so maybe that one just slipped through the net a little bit but so is that Brian playing those dudes? I don't think it is I don't think it can really yeah it doesn't sound like I mean it it doesn't sound like his guitar it doesn't and that's what makes me suspicious of it in the sense that I can't believe they would let that go out but maybe they're just it's someone else's interpretation of the song and they've gone okay that's what it is. It's your version of our song. 
Um, it's not us. Um, maybe they just let them do it. But um, I mean, that yeah. electronic drum sound is could, be, could not be more opposite to everything that Roger no. <laughs> Roger stands no. for in the world of drumming. <laughs> Absolutely, it's like it's Casio keyboard stuff. Uh, well, thank you for that. That was so much fun. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> There's more to come. I can't wait. Uh, shall we get on to the Fairy Fellas Masterstroke, though? Also written by Freddie, 2 minutes 39, which is, uh, again, you know, Ogre Battle's, what, 4 minutes 8 seconds? This is half that length, but again, it kind of almost feels like part of the same song. This, um, apparently this song was uh, inspired, Freddie was inspired by uh, Richard Dadd, who was a painter 1817 to 1886, and he has a painting in the Tate Gallery called The Fairy Fellas Masterstroke, uh, and Dad wrote a poem later detailing some of the characters from that painting. Uh, if you want to look up the poem, it's called Elimination of a Picture and Its Subject. And he includes, he, he sort of wanted to clarify what characters he'd put into this painting. So he includes Oberon and Titania from Midsummer Night's Dream and Queen Mab from Romeo and Juliet, which are both mentioned in the song. Um, and he also creates his own characters on that painting, like Wagner and Will and the Tatterdemalion, which... Freddie specifically mentioned so um, and he included his childhood game soldier sailor tinker tailor plowboy apothecary thief all of which are in the lyrics for this song right um, and the interesting thing is in 1843 Richard Dad started painting this piece in Bethlehem hospital after he went mad and murdered Bob Dad which was Dick Dad's dad uh, and he murdered him for Osiris the ancient Egyptian god of dads so what a diddy daddy oh that guy was. Osiris <laughs> <laughs> hey. being god of death, just in case you start writing in going, uh, it's actually not god of dads. Um, god but of there dads. we go. Uh, so, yeah, look up that painting. It's amazing. And it is called The Fairy Fellas Master Stroke and uh, very much informed um, what, uh, what uh, 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 old Freddie was up to here. You can see it, can't you? It's in London. You can go and see the yeah, painting. I think it's in the Tate, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It is It is remarkable. It obviously had a huge effect on... Mm. But again, you know, we've, we've mentioned this a few times. Their classical references are not few and far between throughout their career. They, they, these guys know their stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I thought we should just listen to the beginning of this song because it's such a wonderful intro, Simon. All right, here we go. Oh, 
how about that? Mm-hmm. Wow, what a tune! What a great tune! It is. I th- it's so it's my when I when I go on Desert Island Discs. <laughs> um, this would be my Queen track. Oh yeah, oh. yeah. This this above all others the and specifically that because it's not it's not a chorus it's it's basically it's sort of two separate verses. Yeah. So there's 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 an a, like an A verse and a B verse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but the the start of the second and fourth verse, I don't know what it is musically that makes it my favorite moment in all music, I think, is that um I I read a description of it. I don't know if Suze will <laughs> bear this out. Um uh there's a heavy accent put on the second eighth beat. Very disorientating, but the ostinato pattern in the background keeps us orientated rhythmically. Measure six is cut off after the fifth eighth beat. The next measure works as a link into the next section. I don't know what that means. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, come on, John. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, an ostinato is just a um, little musical motif which is repeated. So and you hear it a lot in Queen, a lot in Freddie's writing. You'll hear it in this album on Seven Seas a Ride. And then he just, that goes throughout the song. Uh, oh, so away. that's not even the bit I, I, um, that it, it I, kind I'm of trying it, to explain. There's the, there's just the bit where, uh, when he says Ober- Oberon and Titania watched mm. by Harridan, it sounds it's mm. like it starts slightly too late. Mm. So it, it gives yeah. you that sort of like, it's just the most divine experience listening to that specific bit. So both um, Plowman, Wagoner, Will and Types and mm-hmm. Oberon and Titania, it's just something about the way that that is written, yeah. the sort of the music. Mm. It just makes me completely like, what's a really good version of like feeling like you're going to be sick? <laughs> but <laughs> it's exactly like almost like... It's like when you get you know in a mean? really nice bath and you go, Ugh. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And this, there's a similar moment in Brighton Rock. Um, no, it's not similar, actually. Forget well, I said do you that. know what, John? I mean, I'm, I'm actually planning to play that little bit. So we should listen oh, to great. that bit that you're talking about. And then you'll be able to, I think, be a little bit more reels about it. Suze, have you got more to say about the bit that we've just been listening to? Oh, it's amazing. I know exactly the bit you mean, John. And it goes in, it like really jarringly goes into half time but and you go oh and then immediately yeah (laughs) it's got such an amazing groove when for the sort of 35 seconds leading up to it it's been this well it literally starts with a tiktok it's been this so what i was trying what i was trying to find the words to say was it goes into half time yeah it literally goes into half time but yeah it does though like they accent the second beat um, in in the second the second beat in the bar, which I don't know why he thought to do that. I 
Oh, man. That's so good. Tunes, isn't it? Yeah. So good. It's, for me, very rarely does so much in a song come together to be just completely perfect. Mm -hmm. It's like when I said... It's like throwing up even better. I should probably have gone to <laughs> orgasm. It feels like, it, for me, like musically, it is like a multiple orgasm, that, wow. that, that section. Yeah. Um, and may I say, Deacon, absolutely oh, yeah. in the mix. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Just those beautiful little runs. Yeah, yeah, amazing, because he's quite, he's sort of quite low in the mix on the first album, I would mm. say. Oh man, mm. boom, 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 boom. It's really, really yeah. cool. But going back to your original point there, John, um, as a man, what's it like to have a multiple orgasm? <laughs> well, listening to <laughs> Fairy Feathers. Feathers. Literally, this, this is, is as close like. as I've ever got. Right. So, Fairy <laughs> Feathers, we'll... Master Stroke, will give John multiple orgasms <laughs> in two minutes and 39 seconds. But it it's one of no, those moments in music yeah. that I, I personally would put up there with like that harmony on God Only Knows by oh, um, right. yeah, the, the Beach, Beach Boys. Boys. Mm. Just mm -hmm. where you suddenly, you just feel lifted above yourself. Mm. With or um, without you by you two or something like that. Just those. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, maybe not that. <laughs> You've got no soul, John. <laughs> but I don't mean in terms of like a whole song. I mean just those tiny little, I mean like the Amen break, which is sort of, you know, that famous drum beat that's been sampled, you know, more than anything else or whatever. So that's what I'm talking I'm, I'm talking about the right thing, aren't I? I the Amen. Is it like a musical the, equivalent of the Mil Wilhelm Scream, is it? Wilhelm Scream. <laughs> there's, there's, hang on, because I said that this was like the Amen corner of the album. The, there's a drum break called the Amen break um, that is basic. it's like the most famous drum break ever. Um, and it and it comes from a. I'm just looking this up on <laughs> on um, Wikipedia. It comes from the track "Amen, Brother" by the soul group the Winstons, and it's been on like thousands and thousands and thousands of songs. But those little tiny, almost like a second and a half moments in music where you just want to extend the time right. uh, and stay in that little change forever. Mm -hmm. for, for me, mm. uh, Fairy Fellas Masterstroke, and the fact that they repeat it throughout that verse. It's not just into the verse, it, it's constantly kind of lurching mm -hmm. with that really mm. nice halftime groove. And also, just if you read the lyrics, mm. if you read them as a poem, mm. you'd think, how the... <laughs> does he does he scan this in a song? Yeah. No. How on earth? Because it's such a mouthful. There's yeah. so many consonants. Not consonants. <laughs> yeah. There's so many syllables. Yeah. Even a line like Tatadimalian and... The, well, I can't say it without saying it in his <laughs> scansion. And the junketer, yeah, but there's a thief and a But that's because he's written it so it sounds perfectly how we would speak it, right? In the same yeah. way as that second verse in Ogre Battle, mm. there isn't another way to do it. Yeah. The only thing that annoys me about it is it's too short. Yes. So when I do take it on Desert Island Discs, I'm thinking, well, your only Queen time is like going to be one of the shortest Queen songs. So do you just pick the longest one so you've got the most time with Queen? <laughs> or do you actually, and I've said this in the past, mug off Queen altogether because it's all in your mind? Ah, so yeah. Get, ah. But you know it. I could, I could sit on a desert island and play all of Queen in my head. Wow. So do I waste a track on something that exists in my hard drive of my mind? Gotcha. Sure. 
Mm. Well, so it's you can either see this how or I struggled Pelican. at parties when I was a teenager. Can you? Are you allowed to make a case on uh, Desert Island Discs that Ogre Battle and Nevermore can come with Fairy Fellas Master because it's impossible to extricate it? So then you've got a more. I don't think they like people who sort of try and outthink the format. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. So you're taking Prophet Song in, are you? <laughs> yeah, I might, I might do it. Actually. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> um, awesome. Uh, that is pretty much Fairy Fellas Masterstroke right there, wouldn't you say? I just love that description of, like, yeah, those lyrics on paper, they, sh- they shouldn't scan. Mm. And it's not just that Freddie's made them work, but he's done, like, really audacious things with them. Like he's decided uh, one of my favorite like sassy Freddie deliveries within a song is him going soldier sailor ticket tailor flat boy. Oh it's yeah, really, wow. It's so cute. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I, I I must admit when I was looking at the lyrics, I'm like, how does Mab is the Queen and there's a good apothecary man all fit into yeah. the line? Like, he he delivers you know. Plowboy really flirtatiously. Yeah. Because it's another coming out song probably. Yeah, of course, of course. It's always also, who put who who writes a song with the word ostler in it? <laughs> <laughs> the great Freddie Mercury. Great Freddie Mercury. It's not only that; he's got pedagogue in there. Yeah, you yeah. know, he's he's done a lot of like proper language stuff in this. And one, he's I using um, query fellow. Uh, yeah, which it's... is like um, like as in what a strange guy. Like, what yeah. a query fellow. <laughs> but it's a very uh, what do they call it when it's. Uh, ancientified language it's um archaic archaic mm, yeah it's mm-hmm. an archaic use of uh, query so he spelt it q u a e r e which is mm, a, mm-hmm. some that, sort of no that's English. actually a the um was that a mistake no song hang on i thought it was a um like a a famous book but it's not oh. <laughs> you're, talking about, you're talking about spencer's the fairy queen i think yeah, you'll find i have a degree that. uh <laughs> <laughs> Never read it, not <laughs> once. It. Was supposed yeah, to, it. didn't. <laughs> There's an interesting thing about this album, if I could just jump in. Um, Please. They had they, they play quite a number of these tracks really successfully live. You know, White Queen, mm. March of Black Queen, Fairy Fellas. And then they completely sort of dropped off the set list. Um, yeah. With the, with the exception of Seven Seas of Rye, never sort of really sort of came back. Where you know, in later years when they were sort of able to sort of trot out hits after hits after hit, it sort mm. of um, I think it's a shame. And um, when the the team were making the Live at Rainbow uh, Blu-ray release, um, because we, they had the the Rainbow concert from 1974, um, they discovered that they actually did have the multi tracks for the other rainbow concert that, that queen gave because the the one that we all know and have seen was in november 1974 but they'd also played the rainbow in march 1974 and people had mm. often got the two confused and they didn't realize that they had the master tracks for the march concert as well and they did so as part of the blu-ray release and um, with the cd um they were able to release a live version of fairy fellas master stroke which hadn't been heard um since back in those days um mm-hmm. should we have a listen oh yeah <laughs> to yes, some live please. just simon just to be clear what version do you need to buy to get that because the amount of different rainbow 
box sets is quite confusing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I do remember trying to wangle one for free <laughs> through this podcast. <laughs> so that. That's the Blu-ray. So it's called yeah. Queen so Light that's the Rainbow the one you're 74. Send, John. It came out, I think it was about 2014. Um, but it came with a CD as well, and the CD had bonus tracks on it, which include. So does the big proper big box that's like a hundred quid? Does it come in that? I think it does. I'd have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure it does because okay. it's. Um... Well, I'd like one of those, please. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'll... it would have to, wouldn't it? John, you're you, just you'd... asking for stuff. I haven't even dared to ask for stuff. <laughs> you're brazen. When I get one, it's you research. can have one. <laughs> <laughs> it's research. It's just... Claiming it all back as VAT. The harmonies are amazing live, aren't they? And that's just four musicians doing that live. Isn't it extraordinary? Unbelievable. They're so tight. That that can't be easy to do. That moment right at the beginning when Roger just goes, yeah, I'll just blast him with my big choral voice over the top while I'm doing this mad drum (laughs) pattern. But you, you, you can sort of tell why they dropped it because I bet, like... If, if someone had suggested doing that song, Freddie would go, no. <laughs> it's too, because he's 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 having to spin so many plates there because yeah. he's cutting out chunks of the lyrics mm. in order to be able to make the vocal changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, he can't flip from those two voices and do all the words. And play the piano. And play the piano. <laughs> <laughs> you can almost, you can almost like hear them thinking, "Man, this is difficult to play." Yeah. Wow. But how good was that? Mm. Super that was awesome. amazing. That was amazing, Simon. You've brought in so much stuff already this week, hasn't um, he? And yet, we've now reached the part of the show we call Simon says. We're having a lovely time talking about the album, but I, I thought I'd um, have a little look through um, what they were up to uh, on the live uh, circuit at around about this time. And there were some really interesting events. Some of them um, I'm sure the band would rather forget and others that have sort of become part of Queen folklore. So I thought I'd share some of them with you, if that's all right. I think you absolutely um, should, yeah. Before the album was released, um, Queen had some Australian gigs booked and they needed uh, inoculations before traveling um but unfortunately brian got an infection from a dirty needle um and suffered gangrene in his arm and there was a real concern that he might actually lose it 
um, which must have been God. absolutely petrifying at the time. Um, fortunately, he recovered, but his arm was painful for a very long time. Um, and this is something that would ultimately come back to haunt him at a later date. Um, so on February the 2nd, they were in Australia um, for the Sunbury Music Festival in Melbourne. This and this was a real learning. Say again? Is this in 74? Yeah, 70... February 74. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was a real learning curve uh, for them as Queen because they <laughs> they got this one completely wrong. Oh. Um, <laughs> so they were very much playing up to their "We are Queen, we are this big, you know, I- extraordinary band." So they insisted on taking their own lighting rig um, because they were very proud of it and it was very complicated. And as a result, they needed their own crew. So already the locals were really hacked off and angry because it meant the local crew was missing out on work, and it was taken as oh i see our lights aren't good enough for you are they they you have to bring your own um playing up to their royal pretensions they turned up in white limos which didn't go down well with the local aussie crowd as you can imagine um they then refused to go on until it was dark so the audience were kept waiting for ages until queen would come on and eventually when the host came on to introduce them he was so sort of hacked off he introduced them as stuck up pommies mooned at the audience to say this is what he thought of them and sort of queen came on to a decidedly unimpressed crowd freddie had an ear infection so couldn't hear the rest of the band properly brian's arm was making it really hard for him to play and to top it all the lighting rig had an uncharacteristic failure which it later turned out was due to it that it had been sabotaged by (gasps) the angry local crew wow so to say it wasn't going well but having said that queen managed to win them over and by the end the crowd were really into them um they left the stage as is normal waiting to be called back on for the encore uh, at which point the host came back on and asked the crowd did they want to hear more of these pommy bastards or why don't we bring on a good old-fashioned aussie band which was apparently called madden lake to which the crowd sort of kind of went oh yeah okay let's have the aussie band so queen didn't even get the encore So they were very happy to leave on that occasion. Um, The final sting in the tail being that when they arrived at Heathrow, exhausted, you know, Freddie and Brian in pain, very hacked off by the whole experience, they were met by a mass of journalists and photographers who had been told that Her Majesty the Queen was flying in that day. (laughs) And when they were met, (laughs) it was just actually some unknown rock band. They were equally hacked off. (laughs) It was a terrible experience all around. And actually, uh, Queen and Freddie, I only went back a couple of times after that. I don't know if it soured <laughs> their desire to go back to Australia, but um, the reputation, uh, well, so the relationship is very much restored now. Um, so then they went on their UK tour um, at the Plymouth Guildhall. So this is now March 1974. At the end of what was a really good gig, the crowd gave their own rendition of God Save the Queen at the end, which wow. really appealed to the band. So they started using it at the beginning of concerts after that and eventually recorded their own version for A Night at the Opera mm, sure. and it became a staple finale to every Queen show. So that's the genesis of that. Ah. I see. March the 14th, Cheltenham Town Hall. The lighting crew have now got thoroughly hacked off of lugging this massive lighting rig around and putting it up and dismantling it for every show. So they quit. <laughs> um, fortunately... <laughs> Trident were able to line up a lighting director called James Dan who could take over immediately for the next day where they were in Glasgow University. The lighting rig, because it had been put up by a new crew, was constantly playing up and caused breaks in the show. 
this later discovered to be the reason for this was they'd plugged it into the university's ordinary power supply and so it was constantly tripping the fuse because it was requiring too much electricity. <laughs> the next day, they're at Stirling University, which ended in a riot because Queen just couldn't come back on for a fourth encore. It was, it was just, you know, they were absolutely exhausted. The right. band had to be locked in the kitchen for their own protection. And the wow. next show, the next day, which was in Birmingham, had to be postponed to the beginning of April because the band had got damaged equipment and some of the crew had been injured, so there weren't enough crew to put the show on. Um, but then moving on from that, they had a breakthrough booking, which was they were asked to go to America to support Mott the Hoople in the US, which was to be a massive moment oh. for them. But Brian got hepatitis halfway through that tour and they had to pull out of the tour. And it's believed that the hepatitis was contracted as a result of the infection he got from his Australian inoculation back oh, at the wow. beginning it's of the it's not very story. rock and roll is it it's not very rock and roll right. but you got tetanus and it gave me hepatitis yeah exactly yeah. it's so certainly a challenge for a few years. Years. yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, I think that um i think that's some uh that summary from simon deserves a Hey. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a he's got a tinny there. <laughs> well done, John. That's exactly the right response. There uh, you go. Well, that was fantastic, Simon. What an amazing Simon mm. says. Well done, mate. Thank very you good. Very much. As Thank always. You. Thank you. Beautiful tales from the what the, the only legend word in my head is, is Queen. Crypt. That's not going to work. <laughs> tales from from Queen. Okay. Uh, let's get back to the work, shall we? And yeah. we can round out this little trio of songs by looking at uh, Nevermore, which is just 1 minute 17, obviously written by Freddie again. Uh, and this is uh, the first of those tracks, I think, that was produced by uh, Queen with Robin Jeffrey Cable rather than Roy Thomas Baker. And Freddie had added some contemporary piano ring effects achieved by someone plucking the piano strings while Mercury plays, play, uh, plays the notes. I don't know what that means. Do you know what that means, Suze? I well, think it's know, just the way that he's actually the strings plucking of, the yeah, strings inside the piano. I guess someone piano, was literally right? yeah. plucking the strings. Yeah, yeah um, that's what he was doing. While yeah. he was playing the notes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I did know what that meant. Okay, brilliant. Thanks, Suze. Really, really, really happy. <laughs> happy to be here. Happy to be yeah. here. Happy to yeah, help. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you for your service. Music, music, GCSE. <laughs> <laughs> Just beautiful. What a way to round out, you know, six minutes ago we were kicking off with uh, Ogre Battle, you know, not in podcast time, in album time. Yes. Yes. It's a real palate cleanser before the onslaught. Mm. It's a really well-placed track, I think. Mm. And mm. those sort of first three, they're sort of like a little medley, aren't they, almost, in a mad way? Because that, mm. that yeah. definitely 
there's a definite change to when the start of um, March of the Black Queen comes in. And look at what Freddie's achieving by album two. It's yeah. just phenomenal, isn't it? As a songwriter, as a performer, you know, with a you know, obviously with a huge amount of input from the band. I'm not saying it's just Fred on his own, but um, I mean, it's it's an enormous side of music, isn't it? This whole oh, side, an amazing demonstration, and in those three songs, you know, it's it's just a journey every time. I, I absolutely love the the opening of this album because that's just piano and bass, isn't it? For that that song, and I and I just think. Um, I, you know, the, the Freddie and John did become very close. I know they, they wrote songs together as well. I think um, that Freddie was very much a big part of helping John when he was sort of writing his own stuff. Um, and John is sort of very much sort of fitting into the band because he was the last person to join and I think sort of finding his way. And I just, I'd like to think if that was, was sort of maybe the beginning of that, that really sort of close working relationship that Freddie and John... Yeah because it's the, the the two of them together on that is perfection isn't it yeah it is it pop is. quiz what are the queen song is just uh piano and bass wow uh, is it melancholy blues yes it is who's uh, <laughs> <Sue's> wins <laughs> what do i win do, that, do i get that blu-ray yeah. <laughs> ah, no it's mine you get john's copy phenomenal <laughs> well 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 done that's brilliant um all right, so uh, I think it's time to tackle March of the Black Queen, which is an enormous song. It is six and a half minutes, six, just over six and a half minutes, actually, six minutes, 32 seconds. Uh, again, produced Queen with Robin Jeffrey Cable and Roy Thomas Baker. Uh, according to Roy Thomas Baker, the tape of the song went transparent through uh, during the recording of this due to so many overdubs on the 16 track. Uh, while Freddie uh, said that he thought the tape had snapped in two places. Um, I guess it needed fixing, which is incredible. And the song was deemed impossible to play live, although bits and pieces made it into different sets, like uh, an extended version of the heavy rock section towards uh, the end of the song was played live in a medley on the jazz tour in 78. Um, And Freddie played an abridged version of the piano intro occasionally before segueing into Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, but yeah, deemed impossible to play live. There's a, st- a story that Metallica, when they made the album Man Justice for All, the guitar parts were so complex that they couldn't actually, once they'd finished the album, they realised that they couldn't play it live. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> because it's so insane. Um, and they, I wonder what Queen thought when they were writing this song in terms of like the... The, the vocals and the instrumentation, whether they thought, you do know we're never going to be able to play this live, guys. Is <laughs> yeah. there Or is there a point at which you try to play it live and it just doesn't work? Or do, do they know from the start this is just going to exist on an album? I think the, the Queen mindset is to excel, isn't it? So if they're going to make mm. a video, they're going to excel at making a video. If they're going to make... Uh, uh, you know, if they're going to play something live, they're going to excel at playing that track live. And uh, when they're in the studio, they're in a mindset of making the best studio work they possibly can. And I wonder if the priority here was, yeah, well, this is what we can do in a studio. Let's show what we can do in a studio and mm. let's not worry about what the live set's going to have in it. Do you know, Ro, that's one of the best answers to anything we've had. <laughs> and oh. I love the phrase, the queen mindset is to excel. Yeah. Yeah, I might is. actually get that written on something and put on my wall because yeah. I think that's so think, true. Do you know where you want to put that? 
Where? Where you where you'll see it the most on the back of your toilet door. <laughs> oh, that's where you want to put that. Uh, Can we adopt then... it as the Queen Pod mindset is to excel? I or... don't know if we can. Can we? No. Eventually. <laughs> no. Okay. No, right. because Road dropped his mic and we had to re-record, and then he had to give his cat stroke a stroke, or it would. I don't think that's excelling. Kill him or something. I, to, I, I don't know what the cat would do if you did. I have to brush the cat by six p.m. every day, or he will start bullying me. Wow. It's as simple as that. Lockdown's fine. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Listen, we're going to have to tackle this behemoth of a track. Look, Let's all do I have done is I've broken it down into all of its bits, and I'm just going to play all the bits until you tell me to stop playing all the bits. <laughs> Does that seem like a? Re- I don't know how else to tackle this. It's. Massive. I'm going to have to get another beer because you this are. is a t- this is a two beer song. So you oh, you wow. play. Okay. Although should we just point out we're not recording this at nine in the morning? Otherwise it'll. Be- Okay, yeah, fair enough. If yeah, so reaching while, for the alcohol, reaching booze. It's eleven a.m. Uh, yeah, it's fine. All right, okay. So let's get into this beer moth of a song. This wonderful piece of music, um, uh, "March of the Black Queen." I'm just going to play a fat lot of the beginning, to be honest, the first minute and a half or so. none more queen than that is there (laughs) well i i was just about so the guitar solo we're about to go into there yeah i think it's it really in maze to maze credit he's still able to be very concise even in a real epic song Mm. even in a song with loads of movements Mm. it's it's so easy for uh, prog bands and i think Mm. like as a broad brushstroke, I can say this is, you know, this is super prog. Yeah. But it's very easy to get lost in guitar solos, and he never, ever, ever does. Mm. He's always doing quite tight, you know, sort of 16, 32 bar solos to sort of stitch together all of these, 
what could be unwieldy parts of a song and i think that must take as a as a electric guitarist it must take quite a lot of restraint to do that well even its arrival on the track is you know the whole opening of this track has the sense of an opus it's it's certainly foreshadowing Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm sure we're going to talk about that quite a bit. However, it is saying, hello, this is going to be a huge Opus song. And that mm. moment when Brian comes in with that, it's so specifically Brian. It's so, yeah. And it's one simple note just going, yes, we're happening now. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, a, what an amazing uh, opening. Uh, and yeah. also so many different time signatures. Oh, yeah. I think you know about it better than I. I all I know is the words time signatures. <laughs> no, there are, and like there's a, a section when it's going, um, uh, take this, take that, turn them down to a size. It's like, um, I think it's in sort of nine eight at one point, which oh you God. don't see that in pop music. You barely see it in like modern classical. Wow. I might be wrong. I might be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that's in nine eight. That's crazy. Wow. You, yeah, because you have sort of virtually a... impossible rhythm to clap, let alone write in. <laughs> wow, wow. I think, I, I mean, I have just Googled this. I think <laughs> it might be 12 8 and 8 8. Oh, okay. But I have well, never understood time signatures. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, to be honest, like part of, um, part of your higher grade singing exams is you're meant to read key signatures and tell them what the key signature are, key signature is, and I never. I was never able to. I, I got oh. zero out of ten on my grade oh, eight for telling oh, okay. different key signatures. I, I was basically <laughs> just preempting the underscore yes. actual underscore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back from Phil. Uh, actual underscore Phil. Step away. Uh, step away from Twitter. It doesn't sound like twelve eight <laughs> is a particularly uh, popular rhythm either is it <laughs> are you queuing me up to mention frank zappa again no <laughs> actually i was going to ask when we were talking about how um stuff like metallica wrote stuff that's too hard for them to play live did that happen with frank zappa or were they always <laughs> able to play it live never because yeah. he he's he schooled his live bands uh, of the course most, i mean they would prepare for like four or five months in the studio for a tour. I see. Um, remarkable, I see. remarkable man. Um, but unfortunately, he had ninety-six albums, or so. A podcast about him side by side would take for the rest of time. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that, listeners. Shall we? <laughs> shall we get on? I, to I blame this myself. <laughs> should we listen to the guitar solo? Because yeah, let's just do wonderful, it. Isn't you it? can be my sugar baby. You can be my honey
Okay, it's about to go bananas again, isn't it? So we <laughs> <laughs> just stop there. Um, we've uh, had some lyrical stuff going bonkers. We've got some choral stuff going bonkers. We've got guitars going mad everywhere. I can't even... I'm sure Roger and John are doing bananas things, but it's all... It's an onslaught of incredible, this track. It just never stops. But this is sort of its home turf, isn't it? Sort of establishing its mm. its rhythm mm. and structure. And I feel like I'm just talking. <laughs> <laughs> Should we just keep listening to more? Yeah. Everything you do, there's a will and a why and a wherefore. A little bit of love and joy in each and every soul. Lies a man very But even till the end of his life, he'll bring a little It's like if the song is almost like a petri dish for every, for so many other songs that came out over the next two albums. Yeah. So there's mm. bits of, there's bits of like Prophet song. There's bits of Bohemian Rhapsody in there, and what's interesting is that Queen kind of abandoned that epic song, at the for sort of day of the races onwards, really, mm. until. Um, innuendo, mm. Mm. when it comes back with uh, innuendo itself, and um, sort of the show must go on. So you you kind of wonder if there'd been you know a parallel universe where Queen had remained like a prog slash metal band, what those albums would have been. And I'm not saying I want that to have happened because you would they would probably have become, you know the. Uh, fodder for sort of uh, old guys with long white beards sort of <laughs> who who bring their own pewter pint to the pub <laughs> which is fine I like that kind of music but yeah. they they didn't and they became you know the biggest stadium rock band which I don't think they would have done had they continued to plough this furrow mm-hmm. but but my what a furrow yeah and what a plough Absolutely. Yeah, I think I'd mentioned that I've said this before on the podcast, I'm sure, but that I love every ounce of melody in this tune. Literally yeah. every bar is squeezed with some incredible melody that could easily for me be a song in its own right. Mm. Uh, and yet it is all part of one song here. And like John was saying earlier, at no point does any of it outstay its welcome. It's not um self indulgent, it doesn't have the trappings of what sometimes a lot of prog rock could be accused of, of, of just going off on one for ages. <laughs> yeah, none um, of it's for them, it's all for us. Yeah, yeah. Which is, uh, and it's by Freddie, and that, I always say this about Freddie as a live performer as well. He he sort of performs with no ego because it's all for us. I'm sure he's enjoying himself, but he's enjoying how much we're enjoying it, and I think that yeah. is like epitomised in this song. And it's very much like, 
And also I, I describe Freddie and this song. It's never pretty, but always beautiful. Yeah. And this song is like, oh, it's so meaty and beautiful. Ooh, yeah. That's yeah. another good quote. Stick it on your toilet door. I think well, like one way you can distinguish Queen from other proggier bands is that Queen have movements within songs, but they don't have movements on the track listings. Right. So... I think like a, a, a genuine out and out prog band would have March of the Black Queen, Act One, March of the Black Queen, Act Two, Act Three, and it would end up being like twenty two minute yes. long piece. Yeah. Mm. Where so I think it's like going back to that thing Mitch Ben said. What's remarkable is about Bohemian Rhapsody is not that it's six minutes long, but that it's only yeah. six minutes long. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think you could say a similar thing about about March of the Black. Black Queen is like, how is that only six and a half minutes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they put so much in. Yeah, they're they're incredible. They're absolutely incredible. Um, all right, let's listen to a little bit more. Sorry, I'm just gonna have to. I'm just gonna have to stop you there, Ro. Oh, uh, there are occasional measures of nine eight in this song. <laughs> oh my god, I'm gonna cry. Sustain, Suze. <laughs> <laughs> We've had it wow. Confirmed. Nine. I've eight. never been. I've never been more happy to find out I was. Right. So it's <laughs> four oh, which, four yeah. twelve eight and yeah. occasional measures of two four six eight and nine eight. Uh, okay, I might have got the wrong bit. That was nine eight. No, I think that's right. Smashing. No, you, no you're right. One two you're three. One two right. three. One two. Yeah. This is the problem with Wikipedia. It doesn't go deep enough. You need Mm-mm. to go to queensongs.info. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that that's is, a dry that is old lay, layout of the song, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's in G major, A minor, C major, F major, C minor, E flat major, and E major. God, Do how many like... pop songs are in like seven, eight different keys? No. <laughs> yeah. I feel like um, I needed to do better than grade five piano to understand Queen songs. <laughs> I never info. got past grade I mean, one just... piano. Don't worry. Oh, really? Oh, okay, all right. But you know loads about music. Um, <laughs> A I'm, a <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm now realising how how unprepared grade six percussion g- makes me. <laughs> just <laughs> don't do just something about cowbells. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> Simon's, that's Simon's wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's listen to a little bit more of this madness. <laughs> Oh, you stopped just before my favourite Brian solo. (laughs) (laughs) That deserves its own little bit of playing. Yes. But that, that is sort of my favourite bit of the song in loads of ways. Uh, Mm. Just the the whole power of the Black Queen as she starts to announce herself and it goes Mm -hmm. into the sort of, you have these sort of S&M overtones. (laughs) You know, we talked before about how how rarely um, Queen songs are sexy, but I think this song is Mm. very sexy. It's very powerful, very sexy. It's got a lot of... Uh, I mean, you're talking, what, 1974? I don't know how widespread... 
like you know the whole S&M scene now is almost mainstream it's not exactly as underground as it used to be I'm sure plenty of people listening enjoy a spanking but um, <laughs> the my point being that in 74 I would have thought that this would be what's the word quite a daring thing to yeah, daring. sing about mm. yeah I'd maybe I'd chuck the Velvet Underground in there as being one of the early earlier S and M sexy bands, but sure. certainly baby oil wise, Queen were ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah, and blue powder. I wonder, powder I wonder if this is at all influenced by the fact that Trident Studios is right in the middle of Soho. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's that's interesting. You know, like, travelling to and from like work. Um, I'm yeah, sure and seventies Soho, not not yeah, Pret-a-Manger yeah. Pizza Express Soho <laughs> yeah. today. I've been trying when I've listened, been listening to this in preparation for this podcast, because in the context of Bohemian Rhapsody and Prophet Song and, as John said, you know, innuendo, this song isn't that much of a surprise that, that Queen would do a song like this. But trying to imagine what it was like if this was the first time you were hearing it at the time, so you don't have all of that Bohemian Rhapsody baggage mm. that we that we now exist with. How extraordinary this... Because this is, what, the 20th, say... Queen song that you would have heard if you'd listened to the first album. We're listening to this album for the this, the first the first time. Um, I wonder if like, it's, but the rest of the album is kind of you prepare is preparing <laughs> you, you for up. something. Yeah. Do you know what? That's it, so interesting. Sorry, John. Carry carry on. No, that's the. Was that, that the end of the point? Okay, fine, sorry. Um, I, was just saying. I, I usually bow at the end of the point. <laughs> that's so, what uh, I'm to used let to. Know that I'm to used. There on. was no bow, so I thought I'd better check. <laughs> Um, uh, I suppose, you know, when you look at how popular Bohemian Rhapsody turned out to be once they got over the hump of being able to release it, right? It was hugely popular, right? So you've had Queen fans by that point listening to these albums. So for them, maybe Bohemian Rhapsody was more of a, yeah, of course, of course it's a Queen song. Not, Not that much of a surprise because they'd already heard songs like this or, um, uh, what's the big number on uh, Brighton Rock on, on uh, you know at the top of uh, Sheer Heart Attack and so, actually Bohemian Rhapsody is is just one in a sequence of massive songs that hmm. you know. Did Bohemian Rhapsody the 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 song did the single come out after obviously the album was a hit after a night at the opera was a hit. Ooh, I thought it must have it done was released first. Was it? Yeah. I mean, they're yeah. both 75, aren't they? Because they played it to Kenny Everett, didn't they? And ah, and... yes, of course. So I don't think people... they'd released the album yet by that point. And then people for hours called in asking them to exactly. play it again, asking yeah. to play it again. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, oh, God, I feel like I've got so much to say about this song. And now that I've got to the song, I've forgotten what I'm going to say about any of it. Because it is just <laughs> well, wonderful It's a good job because we've been recording for two and a half hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right then. I think we, we all need to forget one thing we want to say about this song. Right. <laughs> let's uh, let's just finish with this uh, crazy solo.
having said that we all need to forget one thing we want to say about this, have you got lined up the comparison with the Bohemian Rhapsody outro? Have you got it lined up? Yes, I do have it lined well, up. Well, then you, you go ahead and share. <laughs> so I can't believe that I didn't realise this the minute I thought about this song, but it was just in preparing for this that I realised that the little guitar outro that Brian plays on March of the Black Queen is pretty much identical to the outro from Bohemian Rhapsody. So when we're talking about songs from these early albums prefiguring future Queen songs, in in it's not just in a sort of um, like a metaphorical sense. They do actually have licks mm. so i'll pl- i'll play um i'll start by playing the bohemian rhapsody one because everyone will know that There you go, there's that. Mm. And there's here's the same bit in March of the Black Queen. I don't see it. See that or have I gone mad? I don't see it, John. I don't know. <laughs> Are you saying don't Brian lie. ripped himself off? <laughs> well, he's, so the second half. What are you of hearing? The March. The, it's the same bit, guys. <laughs> anyway, it, you're right. It, that had never occurred to me before. They they are of one and the same yeah. guitar solo and piano. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's as Freddie Ray. It's a great way to end a big song. It is. Well, like um, my I just went like my fairy king sort of laid the possibility of Bohemian Rhapsody, but March of the Black Queen made it a total inevitability. Oh. What a lovely turn of phrase. There is, there's still so. I mean, I feel like we could do an entire podcast just on this song. But if yes. we do that, we will not see Dawn. So, no. <laughs> uh, let us... No, we will see Dawn. That's the way we'll that works. Dawn. That's the way that works. That's how time works. Okay, good. Um... Let us now have a little look at News of the World! So this is some stuff that Queen are up to at the point of recording that we'll have a little chat about. I've got some stuff that I'll share. 19th of August, anyone know what that day was? Dicky birthday. That was Mr. John Deacon's birthday. Simon's there. Simon's there. So we've done all three of the lads' birthdays in the last two months, yes? Yes. Wow. And then the last thing I thought we should mention at this point, uh, I'm looking at Simon, is that uh, on October the 2nd, there's a new DVD coming out, isn't there, Simon? That is correct, yes. Come on then, tell us about that. Queen and Adam Lambert live around the world. A um, selection of highlights um, from their oh, nearly ten years now of um, touring together. Um, so it's it's sort of built like a concert, but it covers the ages of uh, of Queen and Adam Lambert, and um, it's extraordinary. There's some amazing performances, some great huge concerts. The Isle of Wight Festival is there. 
uh, Rock in Rio concert they did in Lisbon is there. Um, uh, Summer Sonic in Tokyo back in 2014, plus um, the O2 from 2018, um, which we've mentioned previously on this podcast. Simon, do you know which date at the O2 is on the DVD? Uh, I think was it the um, night where you were there? Well, we. That's what I'm looking <laughs> for. I've. I'd need to double check. I think it's the Monday night. It's the first night, which was the second. But I'd need to check that. Right, because I in. know that I took my sister down to see a gig on a night where you were there recording. We recorded two nights. Ah, come on. Yeah, the both um, nights that they were there, we filmed it. Um, and they very kindly wore the same stage costumes for both. <laughs> and did you do Monday and Tuesday, did you? It was a Monday and a Wednesday. They had the Tuesday Monday off, so the Monday and the Wednesday. Oh, I hope I was there on the Monday and then I could be seen in miniature right at the back. That'd be wicked. Well, one of the, <laughs> one of the songs that um, features uh, on the DVD um, from the O2 is uh, Love of My Life. So you might spot your own camera light. That um, was so beautifully done that night, man. Yeah, that looked amazing. Yeah. Um, but it's a DVD and CD package as well, um, so you can listen to the CD in your car and uh, and then watch the DVD when you're at home. Oh, fantastic. That's awesome. It's well worth watching that gig because they got a giant mm. robot off the uh, off the, um, the News of the World. World album, which is, of course, our number one... Frank. Frank, <laughs> the robot, yes. our number one album cover choice. So uh, I can't think of a better reason for you to go and buy that DVD, to be honest. There are, there, do you know what I've thought of, like, ten straight away? Like, it's good, <laughs> Queen are on it, Adam Lambert sings really brilliantly. There's loads more reasons than the fact that Frank's in it, but Frank is in it, and he looks yeah. We can't take anything for granted with COVID anymore, can we? But I really hope the dates happen next year, because yes. I missed out in June. Mm, yes, and it would have yeah. been the first time I'd ever seen Queen live. <gasps> what? Yeah, for real. Suze. No, I, no, no. We I held go off. On mass next week, <laughs> next year. It's going to be great. Yeah. Hope it happens. Yeah, so do well, I. We, we want to sit in John's box that he gets because he get that sounded really. Oh nice. yeah. yeah I'll, let, I'll I'll see if I can wangle you in my yeah. box. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I might be banned from that box, but anyway, we'll see. <laughs> um, all right, so that's what I've got for news of the world. That's good, isn't it? That's very good. good. That's all good. right then. Should we get back to the works? Well, let's have a quick listen to Funny How Love Is, which is 2 minutes 50 seconds. It's a lovely little song by uh, Freddie, of course. Uh, This is another one that Rob and Jeffrey Cable worked on, and it was created using the wall of sound layering technique uh, that they used, that uh, Rob and Jeffrey Cable had used on those Larry Lurex tracks that we're going to talk about soon, hopefully. Um, And that's where they create a dense orchestral sound uh, which sounds more effective, apparently, on jukeboxes and radios. Oh, interesting. Um, So that's why. So to achieve this track, Freddie turned to Larry and the Cable Guy. (laughs) You You did it. Bit of foreshadowing earlier. Play the track. Now we've...
fades out from there. What a tune for me. Yeah. Uh, it's it's sort of a, it's almost like you could mistake it for a bit of album filler, but do you know what? Every time I listen to that tune, it just gives me so much joy, mm. and I really enjoy it, and it's so happy. It's such a counterpoint to the rest of the songs on this side of the album in a lot of ways as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has that sort of wall of sound thing that I was talking about earlier. I feel like there was another big sort of 60s, hit track that kind of did that but I can't oh well it's it so me. Phil Spector Phil Spector stuff right yeah it's exactly. like straight off one of his albums and do you want another nerding out on Freddie's voice yeah. <laughs> explanation yes, do you know we, we talked about on uh, White Queen last week um, how Freddie used cry quality yeah um, and his head would been down it's the um technique used in classical singing where the back of your head is the highest point in this he flips that he's got the cricoid tilt his head is back slightly and his shoulders are anchoring and he's using a lot of twang which you can get if you make the mm sound in sing you'll feel it all across your uh, under your eyes and across your nose right. he's using that throughout in this song because it isn't the highest we've ever heard him sing by any means It go, but it goes up to a, um, a top B which is very high for a man but it sits around there so it's not that the notes are really high it's just that the whole song sits around his vocal break and he uses loads of twang now I wanted to <laughs> demo on this like the isolated vocal track, but I don't think we were able to get it. But I can kind of demo what he's doing okay, um, on the highest parts of the song. So he's going from an F sharp to an A to a B using loads of twang. And you you don't hear men do that in pop. Um, when he's going, Funny how love is every song in every key. Funny how love is coming home in time for tea. Try and hit that, men listening, (laughs) try and hit that with like a full voice. You just can't do it. And I'll tell you who else can't do it. Like any singer in pop. (laughs) Freddie's the only singer, the only male singer in pop that I can think of who can hit with a full belt that tessitura and i read in researching for this episode that they never did funny how love is live and i i thought okay i feel i feel good he's human (laughs) he couldn't rely on the fact that he could sing funny how love is after a full show i was like good he's human (laughs) so do you so when i listen to that song Mm. to untrained ears he sounds slightly uncomfortable in that Mm, register mm -hmm. do you think but from what you're saying, he's do so, doing something quite extraordinary. But yeah. do you think he sounds more uncomfortable than he does in most songs? He's on the edge. Like, he, the notes he's singing at the top of that song in the, like, second half of each verse are, they're on the female break, which is when the voice would flip unless you cover the break. Um, and he is covering it. He's singing that as a, as a man. And not just as a man, he's a natural baritone. So... What he's doing is crazy, but yeah, it was probably a hard day in the studio when he recorded <laughs> <laughs> Funny How Love Is. Yeah. But why would he write it for that? It, he's he's recreating the sound, but in his unique Freddie way of 
Phil Spector girl groups right. of the 60s that I imagine he grew up listening to. Right. And possibly like covered in that band, The Hectics, that oh, he yeah, was yeah, in yeah. at school. Like they probably covered songs by um, the Renettes and those sort of bands. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's got that leader of the pack kind of feel to it. Yes, it does. That's it. Thank you. That was the exact <laughs> that I had in my mind that I couldn't quite get to. Yeah, exactly. It's got that huge sort of booming sort of orchestral, yeah, craziness. Yeah. How brilliant. God, what a lovely bit of analysis. Thank you, Suze. That's <laughs> phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, so this brings us, I think, if we're all happy to move on, to Seven Seas of Rye. Wow. Uh, two minutes, 48 seconds of glory. The first track that we've encountered to appear on a Greatest Hits album. It appears on Greatest Hits 1. And it was their first single to chart. And it charted at number 10. And I thought you might like to hear what was ahead of it in that chart. That oh, yeah. yeah. What yeah. was yeah. it? Yeah. So it reached number 10 the week ending the 13th of April, 1974. Uh, and ahead of it, number 9, The Most Beautiful Girl by Charlie Rich. At <laughs> number 8, the, crept, the Cat Crept In by Mud. Uh, number seven, You Are Everything, Diana Ross and Marvin Gaye, oh, yeah. huge track. Six, Emma by Hot Chocolate, huge track. Uh, five, we get into, well, territory here, Angel Face by The Glitter Band. Uh, at number four, Every Day by Slade. At number three, Remember Me This Way by Gary Glitter. At uh, number oh, two, God. Billy Don't Be a Hero by Paper Lace. And at number one is Seasons in the Sun by Terry Jacks. Oh, I hate that song. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, which way was Gary Glitter saying to remember him? (laughs) This way. (laughs) Which I suppose is better than that way. Yes. Oh, yeah. We remember. (laughs) But, um, yeah. It's weird weird how Seven Seas of Rye on The Greatest Hits is like an, an outlier because it's sort of the the early Queen song, mm. and yet in the context of this album, it almost seems like the least the least out yeah. there track. Yes, mm. yeah. Because yeah. Funny How Love Is is like, oh, what a crazy song for these guys to do. Whereas yeah. Seven Seas of Ride does sound like Queen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it is a batshit insane song, Seven Seas of Ride. Mm. But it's certainly uh, the first song that we've encountered that a sort of wider public beyond the fans maybe be familiar with quite comfortably yes. familiar with because if they've got the the biggest selling album of all time in their mm. car as uh, 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 Terry Pratchett once suggested then uh, <laughs> you know they'll know it um, shall we listen to a bit of it yes please yeah stuff don't we yeah i've got some interesting facts about this track Go but for it. if i start to tread into simon lupton knowledge then simon just shout <laughs> oh, i know about this bit and i'll, I'll back off <laughs> um uh, so despite officially being credited to Sol- solely to freddie may was involved brian was involved in writing the the middle eight 
um, and references to the fan, fan, fantasy world of Kingdom of Rye. Um, this is start. I think I mentioned this before. Freddie created all of that with his sister Kashmira, uh, and it was this song was originally meant to open the album in order to relate to the previous version ending Queen One. Um, so that is that good stuff, uh, and. It was performed on Top of the Pops in February 74 when Bowie's single for Rebel Rebel wasn't ready for the show. Uh, and according to the Musicians' Union, Top of the Pops songs had to be re-recorded to be mimed to. And while Queen went to Rampart Studios in Battersea to do this, uh, Eric Hall, who was a radio plugger for EMI, slipped the original version of the track to the uh, to the rep for to the Music Union rep for broadcast. So they actually. Ended up miming to the actual proper version, uh, which is cool. Uh, should point out, um, Eric Hall is the man who claims Killer Queen is oh, about yeah. him. Yes. He's the one who always goes, monster, monster. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is he? Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, and then the only other little thing that I thought would be quite inter- is quite interesting is after the first radio broadcast of the single, Freddie spotted that uh, they were playing a rejected mix and made sure all the copies were retrieved from radio stations and replaced with the correct ones, which is quite amazing, all that stuff. Hmm. Did not know that. That's an cool. interesting yeah. fact. Not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Simon, you've actually named your company after this song. I did this terrible, <laughs> I've got this t- tiny little story where Simon first told me, oh, I've set up a company, and I've, got, I've called it Seven Seas Films, and I, I went, why would you name it after cod liver oil? <laughs> and his heart just broke in that very moment and then I suddenly went and he sort of went well no because of the song and I was like oh yeah no Queen yeah of course yeah. Queen yeah 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 Queen so cool so so yeah I destroyed yeah. I it I thought you of all people would have got that I right, really so. should have done I, I still lose sleep over that moment <laughs> if I'm honest well no it's because my uh, business partner Dan who I set the company up with is also a fellow Queen fan um, and uh, actually came with me to that convention when we went in um, 1989. And um, we decided when we set the company up that therefore we had to choose some kind of Queen-based reference for the name of the company. And we both went away and, and wrote down Queen-inspired company names. And when we compared our lists, Seven Seas um, was on both our lists. So we both went, it's got to be that one. Mm. I think it's fantastic. So there we I go. It's fantastic thing. That's a- that's a that's a good story. That's definitely making the cut. So, uh, <laughs> um, but here we are, uh, Seven Seas of Rye, their first big single, number ten. I'd hazard to say, out of everything on that number on that top ten, you know, you are everything. Yes, by Diana Ross and Emma, maybe by Hot Chocolate. Okay, Seasons in the Sun, if you must, but surely Seven Seas of Rye is one of the most enduring songs on that list, isn't it? <laughs> But in those days, getting to number 10 was still a massive achievement. You know, mm. it did, yeah. it Nowadays, you probably have to sell a fraction of the amount that you'd have to sell then. Completely. But yeah. And it was it was such a lovely sort of like self-contained song. You know, it, it felt like Queen was sort of moving towards the, OK, this is something that will get radio play. This is something that people will buy as a single. Yeah. Um, because it it starts straight away. I mean, if you look back at things like Liar and Keep Yourself Alive with their huge, long introductions, mm. Seven Seas of Rise, like, we're straight in, aren't we? Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. It does, it's the only song they've released thus far that feels like a single. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And they whacked it at the end of the album. Fair play to them. Yeah. 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 Quite a break. And they gave us, like, a preview at the end of the first album 
like here's just something yes. we've been working on they and then we get the full version yeah. it also makes a mockery of their sleeve notes to say that there were no uh keyboards used on this album <gasps> what that's right Synthesizers. Synthesizers, yes. Uh, A stylophone was used. Roy Roy Thomas Baker used stylophone over the uh, tiddly on pom pom bit right at the end of the song. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can hear it as well. So I just thought we'd play the sort of the Storm the Master Marathon bit through to Mm -hmm. the end of the song. What do you think? And we can listen to that. And then you can hear the stylophone and then we can decide what's the best song on the (laughs) side of the album. That style of phone. I'd never noticed it before. Sounds like a kazoo almost, but there it Mm. is. Synthesizers as I live and breathe. No, (laughs) that doesn't count. And it's an electronic keyboard. It was Brian's guitar. We all know it was. (laughs) (laughs) But Uh, you'll be pleased to know. Yes. That Hollywood Records remixed it in 1991. Are you ready for this? <laughs> yes, mate. I can't believe I've been dropping more of these. <laughs> oh, this this is something to behold. Yeah. you lords and then you preachers. I descend upon your earth from the skies. I command your very souls, you unbelievers. Bring before me what is mine. Do you know what? In 1991, I'd have burned down a building if I'd heard that. But now, (laughs) as a middle-aged man, discovering what the future's actually turned out to be, I don't mind it. (laughs) I I remember now, because I would have bought the Hollywood Records albums on CD when I first bought Queen on CD. I remember that track. Yeah, I feel like I've heard it. Really? I've never heard it. And I would have listened to it once when I first bought it and never again. Oh, really? 
There's the is the little guitar riff from White Man in there. Well, there's lots in there. This is almost like a journey through Queens. This bit was the bit that really got me. Is if you were going to marry two tracks together, so Seven Seas of Right and another Queen track, it would not have been this one. I mean, there's so, so much going on there. Oh my god! Did they have to drop the no synthesizers we used? He <laughs> just scribbled it out. Oh my wow. days! Freddie goes to Hollywood. Football? Yeah, there you go. There it was go. just such innocent times, wasn't it? Happy days. That was that was awful. Yeah. <laughs> of its time. So, of its time. Of its time. Also gently delectable. Um, okay, uh, it, this brings us to uh, the final part of the show. Queen de la Queen, where we choose one yes. track from this side of the album to be the Queen de la Queen. Now, uh, if you had to pick one track from this whole album, Suze Kempner, which track are you picking? Oh my God. Okay, when I met my friend Craig Christie, who is definitely a listener of this podcast and is the biggest Queen fan I know, he's a a brilliant Australian composer, we bonded over our love of this half of the album and he went drunkenly over to his piano and played the opening to March of the Black Queen. So I'm going to choose March of the Black Queen. Yes, I mean it. Yes, I mean it. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Uh, we should say quickly, I should say this, I should say this before you, Suze, but um, I, I, what, what are we doing about the singles that appear on Greatest Hits? Are they, do you get to have them for free or is it like including the singles, which one track? Are you putting on the Queen de, Queen de la Queen? You can put your singles in. Oh, your I see what you mean. Wider, wider playlist, but like including. I think you can put. I think you right. can put a single on Queen de la Queen. Yeah, but I think the singles just buy them separately. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think greatest hits exist. We're we're going the yeah. Right, we're doing okay. the, the alternatives. So the Queen Pod, Queen de la Queen. <laughs> first vote goes for March of the Black Queen. Simon, what are you voting yes. for? I have lost sleep, quite frankly, over this. <laughs> I feel like you're asking me to choose one of my children over the others. You didn't um, make any of these. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to go with fairy fellas. Fairy fellas? Yes! <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. I want to go on that roller coaster with John. Oh, so John, you are welcome. You're going for Funny How Love Is? <laughs> no, I I think I'm going to lose this particular ogre battle, but I'm going for Fairy Feathers Master <laughs> just because it's my. It would be in my top three Queen songs of all time. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, do you know what? I, I love that Fairy Feathers has that much weight on this, and it's great. I, I didn't expect it going into this record. It's lovely to have that that song celebrated, but. Just in terms of sheer value for money, I'm going for March of the Black Queen. My God, six and a half minutes of absolute awesomeness. 
um, is it cannot be denied, and it is such a huge track. Uh, and so now that it is confirmed that I do have casting votes, uh, <laughs> it is March of the Black Queen that we are putting in the Queen de la Queen, which is great. Uh, and my <laughs> final question of this then is out of the whole Queen 2 album, this doesn't, this doesn't go for any podcast or anything, but you personally, favourite song on the album, John? Uh, Fairy Fellas Masterstroke. Thank you. Simon? <laughs> Father to Son. Father to Son. Um... Lovely. And Suze? March of the Black Queen. And I'm with you, Suze. March of the Black Queen all day long. Wow. Well, there we have it. Mm. That is, I hope we have done justice to Queen 2 over the, this episode and, 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 and the other. I feel like we can, um, when we get to the end of this, we should just go all the way back through again because there's so much more to say. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's been so much fun. Uh, to do this epic podcast record with you guys um thank you so much for listening uh, out there i hope you'll join us next time uh when i think we'll be looking at smile and all kinds of crazy stuff like larry lurex um uh, please do uh do the likes and the ratings and uh, some of you started leaving us little reviews which we love uh, it makes such a big difference to uh, us continuing to do this um, so it means the world to us and you can drop us a line queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com we'd love to hear from you um, and uh, you can also tweet us or instagramize us uh, at thequeenpod um, uh, so all it leaves me to say I think there we have it yes that's basically it what an epic record and so much fun. <laughs> it has been lovely to do and uh, we should wish you a fond farewell from everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Can I just, uh, I feel really bad that the last thing that the podcast listeners are going to take away from the Seven Seas of Rye is, is that God awful remix. <laughs> Um, could we play out this week, rather than playing out with God Save the Queen, which is obviously traditional, can we play out with the instrumental of Seven Seas of Rye so everyone can glory mm. in the in the brilliance of, of the, the track as well. Good call. This has been The Queen Pod, a Seven Seas Films production, edited and produced by me, Fergus March. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and stay in touch by emailing queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Mm-hmm.